But if you're able, would you stand to your feet and let's give attention to our passage today. We're going to continue in our series, This Passage Changed My Life. And I'm excited to preach about a passage that has definitely done that um, for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through chapter 6, verse 2. This is God's word to you today. Paul writes, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. God's word to you today. You can be seated. There's something about new that draws people in. There's something about even the word itself, new, that piques our interest. Yesterday I was with our middle, uh, Marin, doing some back to school, school supply shopping. And we were at Walmart and we went to the health and beauty section. And we just walked down the aisle And we just looked for the word new, okay? And I want to challenge you this week when you're shopping or when you're on Amazon to just look for a little word or label on these products that says new. There's something about the word new. And I want to introduce you guys to some new products that I found uh, at Walmart. This is something called Colgate toothpaste. But I don't know if you know it or not, but this is new. It says it right here, and you should buy that. Uh, these are, uh, this is dental floss, flossers for kids. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've flossed. I know we have some dentists in the house. Um, but these are new, and you should try these out. It says it right here with an exclamation mark. They're new. Um, here's soap. How many of you use soap uh, today? <laughs> All right. I don't know if you know it or not, but according to Dr. Teal, this soap is new. In fact, it's a new look. That's what it says. New look here. Doesn't that make you want to want to buy it? Um, how about another one? This is a moisturizer, some lotion, and uh, it's a new size with more value and a new look right there on the label. This is my favorite. It's got mouthwash, all kinds. Of, if you need something, by the way, afterwards, you're welcome to come here and grab it. Uh, this is uh, a toothbrush. 
And I don't know if you know it or not, but um, this is new. This is a new product that they've come up with, something that you can put into your mouth and actually brush your teeth with. It's a toothbrush and it's, and it's new. You should, you should check it out. There's something about the word new that even marketers know for old products that many of us use every single day, but there's something about that word new that calls out to us. What is that? Well, I would say today that it's not just a superficial thing. It's actually something deep inside each of us that calls out and longs for something new. This desire for new that marketers understand comes from the spiritual realm. And what do I mean by that? The, The reality of the spiritual, the reality of value and meaning and purpose. This is the spiritual realm. And whether people could name it or not, each of us was created as a spiritual being. An entity that longs for something new, improved, is longing for something in our hearts, a a groaning inside of us for something that we haven't yet achieved or yet experienced. And we think that a, a toothpaste that's new or a toothbrush or something new is going to finally crack the code. And it's something much deeper. If you, if you don't believe me, listen to the words of Paul in Acts 17. Now, the Apostle Paul was the most prolific missionary in the history of the world. Other than Jesus himself, Paul might have been the most influential person ever born. He went into most of the known Gentile world with the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. And in Acts 17, he comes to one of those cities. It's the city of Athens, a Greek city that was a a collection of all kinds of different people. It was known for its philosophers and its thinkers, its Stoics and its Epicurean philosophers. And they were always, according to Acts 17, talking about something new. They wanted to hear the latest and the greatest. And Paul says to them, after he spends the day in the cities walking all around, he comes to what's known as the Areopagus, the city council of Athens. All of the the highest uh, Stoics and Epicurean philosophers, the, the wise men of the day. And he says to them, men of Athens, listen to the words here. I I notice that you're a very religious people in every way. In other words, you're very spiritual. I saw your many shrines, these many objects of worship throughout your city. And on one of your altars, Paul says, you had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing. Now think about that. You're worshiping, Paul says, a God without knowing it. You know, many people in our world are worshiping. Every person in our world is worshiping. And many of them worshiping a God that they don't know without even knowing it. There's something deep within their hearts that's longing for God. The Bible says that God made each and every one of us with eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? A desire to know and to be known by God. 
a forever God that wants to forever know us? Is there someone or something that is looking for us? Someone once said, all of us come into the world looking for someone who is looking for us. Eternity is placed in our hearts. Paul says they're worshiping without even knowing it. And so much of our world is worshiping without even knowing it. And then Paul says this, this is the one I'm telling you about. I'm introducing you to the God that you're longing for, that you're looking for. All these latest and greatest new teachings and arguments and philosophies, all of this worship that's going on throughout your city is met in a person and his name is Jesus. And he's the one that came looking for you. Friends, there's a, there's a new, and we heard it in our passage today, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. There is a new that never gets old. And there's actually only one new in this world that never gets old. I want you to think about this. The car that you drove here today in, someone else will drive. That new car, that new car smell will one day get old, trust me. Someone else will drive your car one day. Someone else in the new shirt you're wearing or new clothes you're wearing will one day wear those clothes. They'll get old to you and someone else will take them. Someone else will probably live in your apartment, your condo, your house one day. That new place will one day get old. Everything in this world will get old except for one thing. The new life of Christ. And this is the new that Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following. This new that we long for, that marketers know whether they understand the spiritual realm or not. There's something deep within each of us that longs for improvement and, and new and, and completion And the Bible says that it can only be fulfilled in a relationship, a living relationship with Jesus who came for us to make us new. I understood some of this when I first believed and trusted in Jesus as a young man. But as a 46-year-old now, I know it so much more. That there is nothing in this world that satisfies the way Jesus does. Everything else in this world will one day break down, including our own bodies. The Bible says they're, they're wasting away, these, these containers, these bodies. And as much as we try to put new products and do new things, we can only hope to maintain it for so long. They'll one day wear out. Everything in this world will wear out except for one thing, the most important thing. Now, let me just say really quickly, because some of you have just started uh, coming to New City in the last little stretch, and, and, and maybe you don't know where the name New City comes from, but it actually comes from this passage. This was the passage that we studied and we, we read when we named the church five years ago. And the new and new city, just to be clear, is the new life of Christ. It's the new that Paul is writing about here in our passage. It's the only thing in this world that will never get old. It's the only eternal thing, the new life of Christ. 
And the job of the church, by the way, is to sit between people and the gospel. And we'll get into this in our passage, that God wants to make his appeal to the world through his people known as the church. So the new life of Jesus, the new life of the gospel goes into the city. Cities are gatherings of people and we share that message as the church, as God's people, new city church. The Bible starts in a garden in Genesis and in Revelation 21 and 22, it ends in a city. Why? Because God is busy gathering for himself a people of every tribe, nation, and tongue who will call upon his name. And when John sees a revelation and writes it down in what is now our book of Revelation, he says, behold, I saw a new city. I saw a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth coming down. And the one who sits on the throne said that my dwelling place is now with men and women. And he says, there will be no more tears and no more disease and no more death. Death is swallowed up now in this new life. And he says, behold, Revelation 21.5, I make all things new. And it's a new that Colgate can't figure out, that Dove will never figure out. Nothing and no one on this side of eternity, no amount of achievement, no amount of purchasing, no amount of production, things you can produce through your hands, none of it can achieve this new that Paul describes. Did you know that the word new occurs 150 different times in the Bible? God loves new. And God came to make you new. And by the way, when you look at that little stamp, that little logo, you might see a lowercase n, but really what it is, just so you know, is a stone that's rolled away from a tomb. It's the proclamation of the resurrection, the entrance into this new, that we invite all the city, this collection of people to experience. And it's because the stone was rolled away that we now have access to this new life through Christ. So let's talk about that. If you have your scripture open to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following, let's walk through the passage. What is this new that God offers that never gets old? If you're taking notes, I want you to write three things that Paul describes here that are new because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. The first thing, verse 17 is, we're a new person. Paul says, verse 17, that because of the gift from God, he's, he's made us a new person. If we belong to Christ, we've become new. He says, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Some of your translations say, we're a new creation in Christ, which is wonderful language. Because John, who wrote the gospel that carries his name, said in John chapter 1 that Everything in the world was made through Christ. And there's nothing in this world that we can see or taste or smell or experience that wasn't made by Christ. In other words, Jesus was the creative agent of the Trinity speaking the world into existence. Remember, words build what? 
worlds. And God made the world. Jesus himself spoke the world into existence by his word. And then the word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1. And the word came to do exactly what he did in Genesis 1 and 2, to recreate the world, namely his people, into his image. So Jesus didn't come to be your co-pilot. He, he, he didn't come to improve you or make you a little bit better. He didn't come to help you out or, or to help you turn over a new leaf. Jesus came to make you new, to redeem you, to recreate you into his image. And the only one that, that has the ability and the permission to recreate is the one who made you in the first place. He's the only one that knows his creative intention. The, the Latin word here, by the way, for creation, you may have heard this before. And the whole creation account of Jesus speaking the world into existence is ex nihilo. The word or the phrase ex nihilo in Latin means out of nothing. In other words, God didn't need us to make his world. God is eternal He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-sufficient. There's a lot of alls. He doesn't need anything from us, and we think he does. I've got to help Jesus out a little bit here. I've got to just meet him halfway. I hope when I get to the pearly gates, this is something that breaks my heart. People think, I heard it this week. When I get to heaven, I sure hope God accepts me. And I've done enough, see if you've heard this before, you've thought it before. I've done enough good to outweigh my, my bad. Maybe I'm, I'm just good enough. The old 51 to 49%, I just kind of slid in. But the scriptures say the arc of all the story of God is that we are old. The world is old. It's broken and there's nothing that we can do to fix it. There's not a good enough. Think about that for a second. Everyone with me. How good is good enough? Can we agree that nobody's perfect? Nobody's perfect. So how good is good enough? You ever thought about that? What does the Bible say about that? The Bible says good enough is holy. What does holy mean? Perfect. How many of us are perfect in here? So how good is good enough? Holiness, perfection. So how are we going to get there? What's it going to take? This is what Paul is speaking about in this powerful, powerful passage. That the free gift of God is a new creation, a new person that can only happen when we trust Jesus for what he's done for us. Again, ex nihilo, God didn't need anything to create his world and God doesn't need anything from you to make you new and recreate you. It's by grace, it's through faith that God does the work. 
And again, we tend to work for what God desires to freely give. And we do that to control Jesus and to get around Jesus. I want a little bit of Jesus, but I want a Jesus that I can put in my pocket and carry around and take him out when I need him. I want Jesus to be my co-pilot. I don't want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, speaking over every area of my life. So we tend to work for what God wants to freely give us in Jesus. And you say, well, how do we do this? Well, we do it in a lot of different ways. But categorically, and if you're taking notes, we tend to try to work for the new that only comes through the person and the work of Jesus through number one, moralism, another word for it, religiosity. So we put on a veneer of God out here, but on the inside, it's still me trying to achieve. It's still me trying to be good enough. I can do enough good works, enough good things to sneak in 51 to 49 at the end of my life. And many people are still on the treadmill of meism. It's all about me still trying to work and do it on my own. And we just put a veneer of God on the outside. So I go to church and I do all these things. And that becomes my collection of moralism, of religiosity, of, of trying to do enough. It's exhausting. The, the other way is what I would call individualism. These are just categories. You can pick another word. But it's, it's people who are, I think, like Athens, very spiritual but it's still all about what I need to do. So you might hear it this way. I just, I just need to find myself. Where, where are you? Well, I don't know. But I need to go out there and find me. I grew up doing student ministry. I love student ministry. I still consider myself a student pastor. But students have just gotten a little older, the same questions that we wrestle with as teenagers, many of us still wrestle with as adults. And we still think that I'm going to find myself out there in this experience or this group of people. And the truth is that you're right here. You're not out there. And until you settle the question right here, it doesn't matter where you go. There's not a culture or an experience or a place that's going to answer that burning question, who am I? And you're not going to self-actualize enough or be the best version of yourself. Have you heard that one? I just, I'm just trying to be the best version of me. Well, who are you? Well, I don't know. But I'm trying to be the best version of that. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, religiosity, I'm just going to work harder. Or over here, I'm just going to become more of me. Well, who am I? I don't know, but I'm going to become more of that. And somehow at the end of that road, through all of my works or all of my self-actualization, which are both very spiritual pursuits, I'm going to be good enough or achieve this new that I long for that many of us can't even put a word to, that Paul's putting a word to. And Paul says both of them are exhausting and both of them lead to nothing a gap between you and God, still aching and longing for what Christ 
longs to give to you. And you say, well, so you're, we can't be good enough? Like neither of those paths lead there? Let, let, me, let me ask you a question. If you had a, a glass of orange juice, just think about this for a second. Delicious, cold, fresh squeezed orange juice. Okay, let's just think about it. And then we added, like, you know, the, like when you roll your trash down, if you, if you roll your trash down and when it rains, like it has, and, and after, after a while, there's that, there's that like sludge, like that toxic stuff at the bottom of the trash can. And it just sort of collects, am I the only one? It just sort of collects there and you put the bag in and you close the lid as fast as you can because it's just terrible and it overwhelms you, right? There's, there's like, um, you know, it's like an aura around your, your trash can. Like a, uh, it, it's terrible, especially when it gets hot like this. And let's say we took like a half an ounce of that sludge at the bottom of your trash barrel and we just put it in your d- delicious, freshly squeezed, cold orange juice. Now here's the thing. It probably wouldn't change the color of the orange juice. It probably would be just as cold. It may not smell. It may not even taste any different. But here's a question for you. Would you drink it? Would you drink that? I don't care how many times you filtered it. I'm not drinking that. (laughs) Because I don't know what's down in the bottom of my trash can. But I know I don't want it in me. I don't want it at the bottom of my stomach. I don't want it to have anything to do with it. And so even if it didn't change the appearance or the taste or the smell, I know it's there. And there's something inside of you even right now listening to me that you know it's there. You know that there's something in your life and your heart that's not right. There's something that's not complete. There's something that's not new in the way that you want it to be. There's an ache, there's a longing. And the message, dear friends, of the passage today is that it can only be met in Jesus. God made you with that longing and that ache, that understanding that something's not right without him. And I can't achieve enough or self-actualize enough to get there. It's only through the person and the work of Jesus. And that's what Paul is proclaiming. And that's what we proclaim. Being a new person, not an improved person, not a 2.0 better version of yourself, a new person. And it begins on the inside, but it gets even better. It's not only that you're a new creation, you're a new person. Verse 17, look at verses 18 through 20. You've got a new purpose now. And what is the purpose that God's given to each of us individually and collectively as his people, as the church Our purpose now is to share this message of reconciliation with an unreconciled world. So Paul says all of this is what? It's a gift. What does that mean? I can't achieve it through my moralism, through my individualism, my me-ism, whatever flavor you want to pick. I can't get there on my own. It's a free gift of God through Christ. And now this reconciliation that we have with God through Jesus, God's given us a message and a ministry of reconciliation. So all of us are in the ministry. 
We're all in the ministry of reconciliation. You might do that through business. You might do it through education. You might do it through medicine, through sports, through media, through art. I don't know what your vocation is, but I know the the calling, the purpose that sits over all of it is that you're a minister of reconciliation. You're delivering the message of reconciliation from people to God through Jesus. I want you to pay attention to the language here, especially verse 20. Paul says uh, to, to build on that and this understanding of new purpose that, that we're God's ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? Think about the UN and, and people representing their countries to, to other countries. An ambassador lives in a foreign place and represents the interest and the message of their uh, Uh, country of origin, their nation. And in this instance, what Paul is saying is you're an ambassador of this new kingdom and you're living in a foreign, broken, old world and you're carrying the new message of Jesus. And through your life and your words, you're meant to represent the kingdom to a foreign world. And you're meant to represent the interest of your sending country, your sending kingdom to that world. So you're, you're living in that world, but you're not of that world. Your citizenship, as Paul says in Romans, is not in this world, it's in heaven, the new city, the new Jerusalem that God is making, the now and the not yet, the yet to come. And so we're ambassadors. And then I want you to pay attention to this. Look at the end of verse 20. God is what? He's making his appeal through you. So this is crazy. Think about the arc of all the scriptures. And ultimately, the story of the scriptures is God, one story, making himself known to his people and redeeming and rescuing for himself a people. From Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books are carrying this message. And it's amazing to think about because it was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages all over the place, and yet it carries one story. And it's the story of God making his appeal, his revelation to people to come back to him. And so God gave patriarchs, leaders, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God gave prophets, people to to speak this message to the people of God and to the other uh, people of the world. God gave the scriptures themselves, which we're holding in our hands, a miracle of God inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to understand God. God God gave the the disciples and the apostles. God sent his son Jesus, the ultimate revelation, for us to see God and experience him and understand him. And and finally, God gave the church. So I want you to think about this. The whole arc of the story of God and humanity, and specifically the story that's captured in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, and the, think about it in the court, the final argument, the final appeal that God gives to a lost and dying and unreconciled world is the church. And what is the church? The church is not a building. The church is not an individual entity. The church is the people of God. So think about it this way. And if you miss everything else in this message, I hope you'll get this. That God wants to share his purposes through his people 
to all people. God's plan in all this was to share his purpose of reconciliation through Jesus, through his people, those that have been reconciled in Jesus, to all people, those who still need to be reconciled to Jesus. God is making his appeal through you, through your words, through your actions. Isn't that sobering? That God's final argument, his final appeal to a lost and dying and unreconciled old world is you. God gives us a new purpose. Martin Luther said it this way, that Christianity at the end of the day is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. And may we never forget that. Here's the third. The third thing Paul says about this new that never gets old. He says, we're a new creation. We're a new person. We've been given a new purpose, verses 18 through 20. And then look at verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 2. All of this is about a new way that Jesus made for us. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. What was Jesus saying? He's talking about this. That all the different paths, moralism, relativism, everything in between, all the other world religions, I've got to do something. I've got to achieve something. I've got to produce something. There's only one way, Jesus says, that leads to life, and it's through him. It's a new way. So look at verse 21. I'm going to read it slowly. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, many commentators say this is the gospel in one sentence. This is the message of Jesus. This is the message that God wants us to give to the world in one sentence. Someone else said this is Paul's Magna Carta. This is it. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that we who are sinful people could become the righteousness of God. And this is the great exchange, everyone listen to this. That God made Jesus at the cross the sin of your past, your present, and your future. That God poured out on Jesus all the sin of humanity on the cross. And at the moment that you trust Jesus for this new life that he offers to you, God pours out on you all of his righteousness, all of his new life. This is the great exchange that I give to God all of my old and he gives to me all of his new. And there is nothing better in life than when all of your old meets all of God's new. And it only happens through the way of Jesus. And then Paul finishes this statement here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 16. Maybe one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. He finishes by saying, listen to the language, verse one, chapter six. I'm, he says, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with each of you in the room this morning. I'm pleading with you watching online to not take this marvelous 
gift of grace, this marvelous new life in Jesus, this marvelous gospel in vain, or to ignore it. What would it mean to ignore the message of the gospel? That through the person and the work of Jesus, God fully accomplished on the cross what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And the resurrection proved it. What would it mean to ignore that, to take it in vain? Well, two things. First, we could just out and out reject it and say, no thanks, I'll take my moralism. No thanks, I'll get there on my own. I got this. No thanks, I'll find myself out here. I will self-actualize into the best version of me and that will just have to be new enough. So I could reject it and say, I got it, God. And many do. But for those of you who have met Jesus, you've crossed from death to life. You've crossed from old to new. You are a new person, by the way. That is your identity. That is who you are. There's a second way to reject it and to ignore it, to take it in vain. You find new life in Jesus and you tell no one. You find bread and you don't tell other pilgrims other hungry sojourners where you found life-saving bread. You keep it for yourself. And Paul says, I'm pleading with you to not ignore this message of reconciliation, to not ignore your new purpose and this new way that I've made through Jesus, to not take it in vain. And then he finishes with Isaiah 49, verse eight. He says, on the day that you cried out for me, I heard you, I heard your cry for salvation and I answered you. And then Paul finishes by saying, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for some of you in the room, for some of you watching. Here's my call, my plea with each of you. For some of you, you've been rejecting the message of Jesus. You've been rejecting the, the new that never gets old in Jesus. You've been trying to get, it's not a, a lotion or soap, but it's all kinds of new things, new ideas, new experiences that you've been trying to fill that up with. And nothing ever fills that up other than Jesus. And that's the call of Christ to you today is to surrender your life to God to trust him, to believe him, to receive the gift that he's giving to you through Jesus. But here's the second plea. If you have met Jesus, if you have found him, if you are following after him, don't keep it to yourself. Commit today that for the rest of your days, however many days that we have, remember what Paul said, today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. So live for him today. Have the conversation with a family member. Have the conversation with your coworker. Have the conversation. Build a relationship with your neighbor. Share Jesus through your words, through your actions, through your life because there's a new that never gets old. And it's only found in Jesus. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together.
Jesus, thank you for your great faithfulness to us. For those who are listening to my voice now that would say, I know there's something wrong. No matter how much I do, no matter how much I achieve, no matter how much I produce, no matter where I go, there's still an ache, an emptiness in my heart. I I need Christ. I need to trust and receive and believe the message of Jesus. His death for me, for my sins, and his resurrection to invite me to new life with him. If that's you this morning in the room, this isn't about your neighbor. This isn't about the person on your left or your right. This is, this is you. This isn't about yesterday. This isn't about tomorrow. This is about today, now. If that's the cry of your heart, would you pray this with me? Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are, that you came to die for my sins. And so I receive your new life today, not by my works my cleverness, but by your grace through my simple faith and trust in you. Would you come into my life and would you give me a new purpose now to live for? For those of you that would say, I've received Christ, I've prayed that prayer. I know I am a new person, a new creation, but I haven't been sharing that with other people. I'm not sure people would know that around me, my coworkers, my neighbors, even my own family. I wanna recommit today so that God can make his appeal through me to the world. If that's your prayer today, would you pray this with me? Jesus, forgive me for not carrying your message to my neighbors and my friends, to those around me. Would you give me today the faith to believe you and the message that I received so many years ago? Would you make me more passionate about it today than I ever have been? And God, would you give me the courage, and it takes courage, would you give me the courage to share this message with the people that you've put closest to me? I still dare to have hope Jeremiah wrote, when I remember this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.